Hi, this is Arielle Jack, Student Ministries Director here at New Life Church. Thank you for joining our podcast today. I pray the following presentation encourages, challenges, and inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy the message. There's ability for self-control. Today, we're going to close off this series with study on the person of Jacob. Jacob. And uh, I hope that you see... This is interesting. I hope that you see some hope in the person of Jacob. The big idea today is unless we have an encounter with God. Now that word is used, it's very encounter, encounter. Unless we have a genuine encounter with God, we will never meet the potential that he has placed in us. And I believe that statement to the very marrow of my bones. Unless we have an encounter with God, we will never meet the full potential that he has in us. Listen, God has placed in each and every one of you amazing potential. Now you're like, what, Pastor, what do you mean? I'm just a regular guy. Yes, you are. You're just a regular girl. Yes, you are. So was Jacob. Yet God spoke into his life an amazing truth that he didn't see at first. So let's jump into it. Have you ever encountered someone who was a liar? Someone who maybe is a salesperson who was very dishonest or a family member you, you couldn't trust. That's how we meet the biblical character of Jacob. He is a trickster a deceiver, even of his own family. His name literally means supplant or overthrow or undermine. Think Loki from the Marvel Universe, okay? Think Loki without the horns. Hebrews 11, though, puts him in the hall of fame of the heroes of faith. How is this possible? So here's the backstory, real quick before we get into today's text. Abraham's son Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. It was prophesied that the boys would, would grow up to lead two nations. Also, that the younger would be over the older brother. Genesis 25, 23. It says this Jacob, the second born twin, he was the second born twin, came out of the womb holding Esau's heel. Get back in here. I want to be first. And that was his whole life. I want to be first. I want to be first. I want to be first. That was his whole life. Jacob at one point manipulated Esau into giving his rights as the firstborn. He's a manipulator. He's a schemer. Later, he even goes as far as to trick his father who's elderly, who can't see. I mean, this is, this is pretty bad. I mean, he's taking advantage of his parents' age and, and manipulating and, and tricking uh, into bequeathing the blessing of the eldest son to him instead of his older brother Esau. I see Loki all over this guy. 
So Jacob stole from his brother and deceived his dying father. Victor P. Hamilton in his book, Handbook on the Pentateuch, put it this way. To, explore one's own, uh, to exploit one's own brother is bad enough. But to deliberately deceive one's own father, now senile and physically incapacitated, is to stoop even lower. He is the definition of a supplanter. Because of his deception, you know, you know what? Didn't anybody realize this? That choices have consequences? What did we say last week? You can't hold fire to your chest without being burned by it, without your clothes being. You can't do it. Choices have consequences. So, because of his deception, Jacob is, complete, has to com, uh, is compelled to run to escape the wrath of his brother. How many people have older brothers in here? An older brother. I do, and I know what the wrath looks like. I have a feeling Esau would probably not have stopped with a pillow, a, bit, a pillow across the face, probably a slash across the throat. So Jacob's gone. He has to flee. He decides to flee north to the tribe of his mother, which brings us to the first main text of the day. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28, and we're going to start in verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He reached a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set. He took one of the stones from the place, put it there by his head, and lay down in that place. Now, many people think that he, put a, he used a rock as a pillow. How many people think that's a good idea? That's not what this is saying. He moved a stone so that he could be protected by night from anybody who might be chasing him. He was hiding. He's not making a bed for himself with a stone pillow. That's silly. He's, he's hiding in the cleft of a rock so that he can see but can't be seen. And he goes to sleep. And he dreamed. A stairway was set on the ground with its top reaching the sky, and God's angels were going up and down it. The Lord was standing there beside him saying, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. Stop. I always pictured this story, until I read it fresh this time, where the stairway, it's called Jacob's Ladder, but it's depicted as a stairway, is angels are coming down, and a loud voice from heaven from the top of the stairs says, Jacob, you know the, the voice that they use, from Jacob. That's, that's actually not what it says. What does it say? It says he was standing next to him. What does that mean? He didn't call Jacob to come up the stairs. He came down to Jacob. He came down to this deceiver. He came and met this man where he was at in his flight. He came to him. So often we have this, uh, this thought of God as being unreachable, unattainable, other. And yes, he is in so many ways. The scripture talk about that. But he's always been characterized as the God who meets us where we're at. Can anybody say amen to that today? Come on. You with me here? 
the God who meets us where we're at. Where are you today? Where do you find yourself? What kind of garbage are you going through in your life? I know it hurts. I know it's hard. God is here today to meet you where you are. He's not calling you to a higher place where you can't attain. He's coming to you, and then he's going to guide you. You got me? It's important to understand that. God is always being depicted as the God of all gods. Yes, yes, bigger than big. But one in which he meets people in their greatest point of need right where they're at. I love it. And what does he say? He says, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. God of Abraham and Isaac. But not the God of Jacob. I'm the God of your father. I will give you and your offspring the land on which you are laying. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out toward the west and to the east and the north and the south. All the people on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Look, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to you. God is making himself available to Jacob. Verse 16, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he said, surely the Lord. Do you notice that he's still disconnecting the Lord from his Lord? You see that? He hasn't made that decision yet. He hasn't brought the God of Abraham and Isaac into the place of being his God yet. He says, the God. The God, uh, certainly the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. He was, uh, he was afraid and said, what an awesome place this is. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. 18, early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that was near his head and set it up as a marker. So the stone he used for hiding is now a stone of remembrance. Before he was hiding behind it, now he's setting it up as a place of remembrance. Mm. He poured oil on top of it and named the place, place Bethel, though uh, previously the city was named Luz. It's a better name anyway. And then Jacob made a vow. Here we go. You ready? If God be with me and watch over me during my journey, if he provides me with food and drink and clothing to wear, and if I return safely to my father's family, then the Lord will be my God. Not the Lord, but his God. This stone that I have set up as a marker will be God's house. And I will give to you a tenth of all that I have. All that you give me, sorry. All that you give me. He's saying it's, it's a transition from the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the Lord, to saying, okay, we're going. I'm going to make you my God, and I'm, going to, and I'm going to see if you are as good as you say you are. So we have this moment where Abraham, excuse me, Jacob has an encounter with God. 
I want you to understand this. We cannot reach our God-given potential unless we have an encounter with God and choose to abide in him. What was Jacob's destiny, right? He should be a leader of a great nation, and the younger would be greater than the older. That was the potential that God saw, that place on him. And he now is having an encounter with God, and through God's power, this is now able to be possible. We have to make, we have to encounter and choose to abide with God. Make him my God. Not the God of your parents. Kids in here, he can't be the God of your parents. It's not enough for you to recognize, oh, that's dad's God, or that's mom's God. Are you going to make him your God? It cannot be the God of the church that you attend. Well, I'm covered because I go to such and such church. Even if, it has, even if it's new life in the mall. Sorry, just can't promise that. It can't be just the God of the church that you go to or the church that you grow up in. The church you were baptized in. It can't be the God. It's got to be your God. Are you willing to abide, to walk with, to live in the house of God? to live in Bethel, to honestly and truly put our faith and trust in him and abide with him. Here's some scriptures. I just want to read a bunch of scriptures, almost like rapid fire. And I just want you to hear what God says about what it means to abide. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Colossians 3, 1 through 3. Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. For you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Abiding, abiding in God. John 15, 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, this is a huge one, guys. Ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. That's a tricky one. It's like, hmm, ham sandwich. No, that's not what it means. (laughs) That's not what it means. It means if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you're going to get in sync with what God wants. And then you're going to be praying for what God wants, and what God wants, he gives. Okay. I told you rapid fire, so we won't spend. Ephesians 3. So that Christ may dwell in you, your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ what surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to the fullness of God. I want you to reach the fullness of what God has for you. To be filled up with all that he, to abide with God so closely that you, you are, you're reaching the potential that he's placed in you. Now here's the tricky part. 
We have wandering eyes. When we talked last week about one of the C's was covetousness, right? Right? Covetousness. So, much, so often, even in the Christian world, we look at the potential or the, the things that other people are doing and saying, I, I want that. I want to meet up to that standard. That's not what God put in you. He wants you to be everything that he has put into you. What is that? Well, you may not be a worship leader or a pastor or an evangelist. That's not the point. Are you a mom? Are you a dad? Are you a grandparent? Are you an aunt, an uncle? Are you a child? Are you a brother or a sister? What does it mean, a friend, to live up to the potential that God has put in you? What kind of job do you do? How can you, how can you uh, live and abide in Christ where you work? Jacob leaves Bethel with a goal of someday returning. He goes to his mother's family and stays with Laban, the father of his, uh, the woman that he wants to marry. He makes a deal with Laban to work seven years for Rachel's hand. And he's uh, treated a little bit, uh, he's given a little taste of his own medicine. The deceiver has now been deceived. Laban tricks Jacob into marrying his eldest daughter, Leah. Now, I don't understand how that's possible, but that's a story for another day. So Jacob makes another deal with Laban to work seven more years for the hand of Rachel. Time passes, and he re- he's realizing that he's not being treated fairly. He's getting, again, he's getting more of his own what do we say? When you hold fire to your chest, you're going to get burned, right? He's living this right now. So he's not being treated fairly by his father-in-law, so he decides to put another Jacob scheme into play. Genesis 31 says this, verse 20, Jacob deceived, he's going back to his old, story, his old, his old name, Jacob deceived Laban, the Ramian, not telling him that he was fleeing. He fled with his possessions, crossed the Euphrates, and headed for the hill country of Gilead. So he takes his kids, his grandkids, all this stuff, and just bolts without saying a word. Well, you can imagine Laban's not too pleased with that. His daughters are gone, his grandkids are gone, and, 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 and half the livestock that he's been entrusting to Jacob is now gone. So he gets chased down. It's a big story. It's not for today. Look it up. Eventually, Laban catches up to him and confronts him. Why did you just leave, he basically says. So they made up, and it was all good, whatever. Now we find Jacob back on the borders of the territory of his brother Esau. Remember this guy? Who's going to ear to ear? This is the guy he's coming back to. Now, I don't know if you remember it, but at this point, God's promise is fulfilled. He says, I'll I'll be with you. I will go with you. I will take care of you, and I will bring you back home. And I, I will take care of you until that point. We forget that. He's like, I'm going to prove myself. I'm going to take you there. I'm going to be with you. 
and I'm going to bring you back. So Jacob sends word to Esau that he's back, and he's told, his messengers come back and say, Esau is coming to greet you. But bringing along an entourage of 400 men. Front row. That night, that night, he has another encounter with God that defines his life. Genesis 32, starting in verse 22. During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two slave women, and his 11 sons and crossed the fjord of Jabak. He took them and sent them across the stream along with all of his possessions. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the men saw that he could not defeat him, he struck Jacob's hip socket as they wrestled and dislocated his hip. Then he said to Jacob, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Jacob remembers that, the, uh, that night in the house of God in Bethel where God gave him a promise. Look, this is what he says in verse 15. Look, I am with you, and I will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So he's, at the, he, he, he's back, and he's got 400 guys coming at him, plus one, his bro. And he's saying, I know who you are, and I am not letting you go until you extend my blessing. I cannot go up against my brother without your blessing, and I, I need your blessing. He contends with this angel all through the night. Now God has fulfilled his promise, bringing him full circle. Now he contends with God to bless him in the next chapter of his life. He understands that without God, he is vulnerable to the perils of this world. And I'm going to say that to you today. Without God, you are vulnerable to the perils of this world. Without God's grace on his life, he will get what he deserves. <laughs> his sin, his deception, his disloyalty, his betrayal will be visited on him. He knows without the blessing of God, he is incapable of reaching his full god given potential. He will never be more than Jacob, the deceiver. He will never be more than a Jacob. Verse 27. The angel asks him, what's your name? The man asked, uh, the angel asked, Jacob, he replied, your name will no longer be deceiver, supplanter, underminer. Your name will no longer be Jacob, he said. It will be Israel, because you have struggled with God and with man and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he answered, why do you ask me my name? And he blessed him there. He's like, why do you ask me my name? You know exactly who I am. We've had an encounter before. I've been with you the whole time. Why are you asking me for my name? You know who I am. 
or else you wouldn't have asked me to bless you. Jacob then named the place Peniel. For I have seen God's face to face, he said, yet my life has been spared. The sun shone on him as he passed by Peniel, limping because of his hip. When's the last time you contended for God's blessing so much that it left you limping? I got bad knees. Anybody here have bad knees? After I get off my knees and praying, I'm like, But that's not what I think he's talking about. I think he's talking about realizing our humanness in light of God's holiness. Israel means he who struggles and strives with God. That's what Israel means. The name Israel means he who struggles and strives with God. And really, it's a perfect name for the nation of Israel because they've always been struggling and striving with God. Sometimes they're on, sometimes they're off, sometimes they're hot, sometimes they're cold. But they've had this constant uh, relationship with God that has moved and has had ebbed and flowed. Anybody know that's what relationships do? Their work. The name Israel is the culmination of everything that God knew Jacob to be. A leader, a patriarch, a channel of blessing for the whole world. God knew him to be all these things. He just wasn't able to receive them until he pursued God with tenacity. As someone who wants everything that God has to offer. If we desire the blessing of God, we need to not only abide in Bethel, in him, but to strive. Now, what do you mean, Pastor? We're not supposed to have to strive. Grace is free. Yes, absolutely. Grace is free. It's a time and a moment where you ask God for the unmerited favor. But if you want God's best, it's going to take some work. If you want God's best, it's like a relationship that you have with anybody. That one yes means a thousand no's. Right? That's the, that's, the, that's the word I gave my wife on our wedding day. I said, I do, one time, and that I do meant I don't a thousand times. See what I'm saying? Right? That idea of, man, this is going to be hard. I'm going to have to strive, and I might even come up limping, but I want God's best. I want God's best for me. I can't do this without him. I can be ordinary. I can be the deceiver. I can, be, I can do it the way the world. But if I want God's best, I'm going to need a touch from God. I can't do this without encountering him and striving for his best. Kim Owens in her book, Doorkeepers of Revival, says this. Peniel means face of God. Peniel means face of God. It was there Jacob wrestled and contended 
for more. I know you blessed me thus far. Right? Because he said he would. But I need more. I need more. Jacob wrestled and contended for more. His heart cry was, do not release me, Lord, until I have more of you. Jacob received the answer to his cry. He encountered the face of God. Why is that significant? Why is the face of God significant? When you encounter someone's face, you're looking into the most revealing part of his physical being. That's one of the problems we've had with this, this pandemic, these masks, right? You can't see somebody's face. When you look at somebody's face, you're seeing the most revealing part of their physical being. You see the, their essence, their attitude, and their intentions. You're personal with them because you're in their space. Let me, let me say this to you today right now. Personal revival is getting into God's face and space. If you want a personal revival today, you need to get into God's space. You need to see the face of God. It is an encounter with his essence, his attitude, and intentions. It is intimate and personal. And you never leave the same. You leave every encounter with a limp, a new understanding of your identity, and a touch of heaven in your heart. That's what Kim Owens said. And I, and I tend to agree with her. On this. If you want a, a personal revival in your life. Now, revival in the church is great, but it can only happen when the people of God have a personal revival in their hearts. And if you want that, you've got to get into God's space. You need to abide and contend. Abide and contend. We cannot experience all that God has for us until we are willing to abide in his presence and contend for every blessing. I'm going to bring it home. Ready? Think about the labels that have been put on you by you and others, either verbally or non-verbally. Think about the labels. I'll throw some out there. Dumb. Hopeless. Unqualified, worthless, loser, addict, unlovable, unfaithful, deceiver, Jacob. Only when we contend with God for his blessing. Spend time letting him reveal to us who he made us to be and refuse to let the world label us 
will we be able to move from our Jacob life into the life of God's blessing. Would you stand with me? Thank you.